called to in Christ, it takes hard work. In our passage today, Paul encourages the church to be of one mind and one judgment. And even if we don't have the type of factions among us like the Corinthian church did, the act of seeking to have the same mind, it takes time. We're called as the people of God to work together for the sake of the church of God and for the sake of the kingdom of God. We're called to live faithful lives in the various places where God has put us and to encourage one another in that. That means we need some agreement on what faithful lives look like. It takes time, study of the scriptures, and faithful prayer to be united in this way. Unity takes maturity. It's easy to say, I believe everything that Augustine says, or Calvin, or Schilder, or R.C. Sproul, or some other leader in the church. It takes maturity to hear Augustine, Calvin, Schilder, and R.C. Sproul as servants of God. And insofar as they may contradict one another, to put each in the light of Christ's word. We don't find unity in following a man. We find unity in following Christ. And that's our theme today. God calls us to find unity in the cross of Christ. These are Paul's opening words of instruction to the church of Corinth in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ... That all of you agree, that means all of you say the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul's call here reflects what he writes in other letters. In Ephesians 2, he wonders at the unity that God is bringing to Jews and Gentiles. They're being brought together. In Philippians 2, he calls the Philippians to a shared attitude of humility toward God and toward another. He wants them to have the mind of Christ. In Colossians 1, he tells us of Christ, the proper head of the whole church, and God is using that church to reconcile all things to himself. Paul loves to speak of the unity that God is bringing to the earth through the vehicle of the body of Christ. And this unity, this unity, it's something people crave. They want to have that shared vision, that shared desire. There's a reason that countries will descend into the tyranny of a Stalin or a Hitler People crave to be united in a greater cause, and they look for a leader to bring cohesion to that cause. They recognize the division that lies between people, but they don't see the right answer. This is where, in our own day, the demagogues on the right and the left come from. 
Christ answers that desire of the human heart by calling us to find unity in the cause of the cross of Christ. As Paul says in Philippians 2, have this same mind that was found in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself. Now, having the same mind here does not mean a loss of individuality. Rather, Paul is talking about a mindset, a common goal, if you will. It's similar to what people talk about when they talk about having a vision as a church. God himself provides us with various ways of casting this vision. We can talk about Abraham, who is blessed to be a blessing. We can talk about Revelation 20 and 21, where the church is pictured as a place where the nations find healing. God's church is a place for reconciliation with the God who created us and a place of reconciliation with one another. And having a similar vision or mindset allows the church to have similar judgments. The leaders of the church particularly must continue to work through the questions of doctrine in life, applying the scriptures with wisdom with maturity to the various controversies that come up. If they begin with a mindset of what the church is, this will allow them to work together toward shared judgment. Now Corinth is not living out of the unity of Christ. Paul has heard the reports there's quarreling among the Corinthians. Now, this is not just regular disagreement that must be resolved, but it's outright quarreling. The church has divided. The brothers in Corinth are not approaching one another with a common vision. They're not approaching one another in humility or as fellow Christians. What's behind all this? It's a lack of maturity on the part of the Corinthians. They are following the patterns of the flesh. They're looking at the men God sends rather than the Christ who sent out those men. They're comparing Paul, Apollos, and Cephas. We see this factionalism in the following words. Each of the Corinthians are saying to themselves, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas. Now we don't know for sure how much these attitudes have caused division in the church, but we do know that there's an immaturity here, an unwillingness to see that Christ is the one who called Paul. Christ is the one who called Apollos. Now these factions are not necessarily divided on doctrine, and they're certainly not formed over the central doctrines of who Christ is and what he did for us. Paul hates those who reject who Christ truly is. He hates those who reject Christ's resurrection or Christ, the fact that Christ is the anointed Son of God. 
He would view this type of division, a division in the church where those who reject Christ as God and those who accept Christ as God, he would see that as proper. Because those who reject Christ as the anointed one are no longer working out of the unity of Christ, the unity that is found on the cross. The problem here is groups of people in the church who are using the persons of Apollos or Paul as shortcuts for growing in Christ. They prefer to simply look to Paul or Apollos than look to the word of Christ. And we're in danger of that when we make a person or a book or a system as more important than Christ. It is fleshly thinking to pit one Christian preacher against another Christian preacher. Now, there may be doctrinal disagreement, but ultimately, when we see that, we look to the Word to judge between these Christian preachers. And that takes maturity and time to discern not a matu- not a maturity a maturity that cannot be found in simply identifying yourself with your favorite theologian or your favorite preacher now you may have noticed that i did not mention the fourth group that paul lists here in verse 12 it's hard to know what is exactly meant by paul's reference to the say to those who say i follow christ And the verse is also somewhat difficult to translate. Different theologians have different guesses on what it means. One option is that this is a group of people that have rejected any preacher, but have said, we only hold to the Bible, we only hold to Christ. And this, of course, is a real problem we see in the church today. There are men who, frustrated with with the divisions in the church, reject all the careful teaching of ambassadors of Christ through history and say, I only hold to the Bible. The problem with that is, if we love Christ, we will love Christ's ambassadors. We will want to learn from those who have been given greater insight into the word. But there is, however, no evidence that this group is a big problem in Corinth. Another option is that this is Paul's statement, as Paul is declaring his allegiance to Christ, in contrast to those who follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas. He is like Luther, upon, who upon hearing that some were calling themselves Lutherans, grew angry and declared that no one should identify themselves with a worm like himself. Rather, they should follow Christ. That's been Luther's whole ministry. That's Paul's whole ministry. For Christ is the author of our faith. However we understand this phrase, the truth is we do follow Christ before any mere man. Even a man like Paul or Peter who, used, who God used to write his infallible word. We only follow them because they're pointing us to Christ. Now an I follow Christ attitude can be twisted, as we have seen. 
but it's ultimately where every Christian should end up. I follow Christ. I, I am a Christian. I am of Christ. And that's the upshot of verse 13 where Paul says, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of Paul? It's Christ's work, his work on the cross that brings unity to the church. Now Christ's body may be divided, but that does not come from Christ. It comes from the failures of those who follow Christ who are distracted by the flesh. We must, we must find unity in the cross of Christ. Your preacher did not die for you. You were not baptized into the name of Calvin or Sproul or Schilder or Augustine. The purpose of the church is to reconcile men and women to God through Christ. It is in the fact that Christ died for me and for you. That is what gives us a basis for unity with one another. Not the fact that we really like the same preacher. Paul underscores this point with a discussion on his role in baptism. He's glad that he did not baptize many of the Corinthians, for he fears that would have given them too great an attachment to himself. Too great an attachment to himself. He says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized into my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. Here's a warning for ministers of all types. We want to reconcile God's people with Christ. We are not here to proclaim and demonstrate our own greatness. Ultimately, Paul's not here to baptize. He does, and that's part of his ministry, but he has no need to be personally involved in the act of baptism. What matters is the words that Paul brings to the church. Paul has come to preach the gospel, to preach Christ crucified. Even in preaching the gospel, Paul is careful of bringing attention to himself. It's not about himself, it's about the cross of Christ. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Not with words of eloquent wisdom. It seems that Paul was likely not the greatest speaker in terms of the rhetorical training in the first century. And Paul sees that as a good thing in his situation. For, he says, if he spoke with great eloquence, the cross would be emptied of power. For if Paul spoke with power, then the focus would be on Paul himself and not Christ. And his, his whole point of existing is reconciliation with God. It's also the content of Paul's word. Paul does not bring a word that is wise according to the wisdom of the world. The word of the cross is foolishness in light of the wisdom of the world. 
yet Paul preaches the word of the Son of God who died. And he boasts in that fact. If his ministry was not centered on the cross, the cross of Christ would lose its power. Again, this is a reminder to us all, and especially to ministers of the gospel. We can focus on unity. We can focus on the law. We can focus on love. We can focus on the kingdom of God. But if that is not rooted in the cross of Christ that takes away sin, it's not worth anything. It's not going to bring the reconciliation of God. Now the unity that God is calling us to through the words of his servant Paul is not an easy task. Just because everything is peaceful on the surface or in general there is a consensus in the church does not mean we're actually pursuing the unity of mind and judgment that Paul calls us to. We may be united in apathy or in materialism. We must be united in the mission of Christ. At the beginning of our text, Paul calls the Corinthians to the same mindset. And at the end of our text, he brings out what that mindset is to be. It is to be one that is rooted in what God is doing in the cross of Christ. It's a mindset that hates sin and loves righteousness. It's a mindset that desires the wisdom and favor of God and desires to share that wisdom and favor with one's neighbor. This does not mean... Again, that everybody is to be the same in the church. Paul makes clear in 1 Corinthians 12 that we are a body and fulfill numerous functions as a church. Some of us are given gifts in the area of prayer, some in speaking, some in wisdom, some in hospitality. And we're called to support one another in these gifts. Behind this all is a mindset The mindset helps to ensure that people in the church are actually using their gifts for the sake of the kingdom of God. If we have that mindset that Christ died for me and now I'm called being blessed by God to be a blessing to the world, we will use our gifts for the kingdom of God. This is the mindset that finds its center in the cross of Christ. For one, this mindset sets us as enemies of sin so that we put to death identities or sins that defined us before we found Christ. Now Christ in his word overshadows any other truth about ourselves before we saw Christ. This is a mindset that also understands that we as the church are part of Christ's mission in bringing the reconciliation of God to the world. We can think of Colossians 1.20 where Paul says that God will through him, that is Christ, reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And who bears that cross? The church. This is particularly what the Corinthians needed to understand as they lived and worked in the pagan Greco-Roman culture. They needed to understand their distinctiveness, a distinctiveness with a purpose. God has chosen them to live as a light in the city of Corinth, 
with all the persecution, the mocking, and the hope that that entails. Likewise, God has called you as his church in Transcona. God has called you out of darkness into light and brought you together so that you together may be a witness. Is that the mindset that informs you as you go to church each Sunday? Is that working itself out in gifts in your life? We need to be careful that we don't twist this idea of a body either. Sometimes it's easy to tell ourselves, I don't have the gift of hospitality or I don't have the gift of friendliness. But if we are truly developing through prayer, through contemplation of the word, the mindset of Christ, it's humility, it's love for the world that helps to overcome these protestations of the flesh. It takes time. It takes encouraging one another and supporting one another. Recognizing one another's strengths and weaknesses. Is that the mindset that informs you as you live throughout the week? Is that the mindset that forms your judgments, the decisions you make in your life? Now that is what God has called us to do. The cross provides the how. God uses the mortal flesh of Jesus Christ to fulfill his purposes. That weak flesh. He uses suffering to fulfill his purposes. He uses death to fulfill his purposes. Outside of Christ, that's ridiculous. Outside of Christ, it's ridiculous that shed blood can cover sin. That God has actually sent his son to take on the wrath of God in my place. God made the death of Christ the moment of victory. And that continues to be foolishness to the wise of our own age. And we're a people that preach that foolishness, we bear that message of foolishness before the world. How does that inform our mindset before one another, before the world? Do we have the attitude of humility that God revealed in Christ Jesus, or do we look to the strength of the flesh? The truth is, our only strength is found in Jesus Christ, his death, and his resurrection. It takes maturity to recognize this, to take on this mindset. It's childlike to rely on fleshly leaders. We're not saved through John Piper or R.C. Sproul or through Reverend Stam or Reverend Venuni. It's childish to depend on your local pastor for salvation. God gives the church the Spirit of God to communicate the mind of Christ. He gives us the spirit to encourage us in the same mindset to bind us together in love, as he says in Ephesians 4. And through that spirit, we're connected to Christ. So we rely on the wisdom of those who are gifted with knowledge in the church. 
But all who have the spirit of the Christ also have the ability to exercise judgment and understanding in the scriptures and its application to our lives. And yet we do not do that as isolated individuals, me and Jesus. We do that within the community that God has called us into. We do that listening to those who have wisdom in the scriptures. This is body life. Within that body, we're called to actively pursue unity. And it must be active, for the truth is our minds continue to be affected by sin. Sin which we must put to death. Sin that divides us, pulls us apart. Unity is not something that just happens. It must be pursued with honesty and integrity. God has given us the freedom. Remember, God has given us the freedom in Christ to overcome these things. To build these types of bridges with one another. If we're actively talking with one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, we will begin to see the mindset of Christ, the vision of Christ, take place in our own attitudes toward one another and toward our community. Once we have that mindset, we may actively support one another as we seek to fulfill Christ's command to be a blessing in the community within which God has placed us. Ultimately, Paul's words here are meant to comfort us. In all of this, we don't depend on the word of men, even the best men, to save us. We depend on the sacrifice of Christ, and we recognize that the preachers and theologians of the word are fellow servants and followers of the same Christ that we follow. Christ saves. Christ is Lord. We also recognize that that unity is not pursued in our own strength. Yes, we actively pursue it, but understanding that it is the Spirit, it is the Spirit who unites us. In our calling to unity, God provides the Spirit to strengthen us in that unity. Again, Ephesians 4, binding us together in the love of Christ, in the mindset of Christ, who humbled himself and took the form of a slave for our sake. And this means, too, that we may lack eloquent wisdom. We have failings. We're not, we're not perfect in the way we speak or in our understanding of Scripture. Even though we lack what the world views as necessary to be cool or important, God will continue to use us. The gospel doesn't depend on us. Rather, God, God is pleased to use our natural weakness, our natural weakness for the sake of the gospel, for the power of the gospel. Because the power of the gospel, it's not in great arguments. 
It's not in speaking well. It's not in thick systematic theologies or grand philosophies. The power of the gospel is found in the word of the cross. Christ died so that your sin can die. Christ was raised so that you may be right with God. All glory be to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sing together in response from hymn 30, hymn 30, verses 1 through 3.